0: It's great to be with you this morning And before I get started here, I want to introduce my wife wife, Paula over here round of applause for Paula If you think any positive things about me She is the secret sauce of all of that Seriously, God has used Paula in my life in an amazing way I love calling her my chief advisor She's so intuitive and has so much wisdom And has helped me a lot Along the way, as a pastor, as a dad, as a husband, and I just love her, and I'm thankful for her. Um, we we love being here um, at Mercy Hill. We've been out here a lot uh, to see uh, Seth and Sierra, and even to speak here, uh, I think once or twice. And it just uh, you know when we come, it feels like kind of a second church for us, and we really mean that. We know a lot of you, some of you we don't know, uh, but we love being here and uh, just excited to be able to teach. Uh, For those of you who do know us, just a quick grandparent update. Uh, We now have eight grandkids. We have number nine coming in the next couple of weeks, and then we have number 10 coming right here in Cincinnati, 7 a.m. Yeah, yeah. I, I told Seth, uh, at whatever point I'm holding your child, whether it's a boy or girl, I'm gonna ball like a baby, and me and the baby will cry together. It's just <laughs> the most incredible thing in the world. So you know, I, I try to think about a year from now what it will feel like in the Jones house when everybody gathers. It's gonna feel like a daycare. I mean, we're gonna have two one-year-olds and two almost one-year-olds, and it's gonna be wild and crazy and. Um, you know, my sermon this morning is on endurance, and we're going to need a lot of endurance as grandma and grandpa, but we absolutely love it. Okay, so as um, I think mean, Ernie said at the beginning, we're taking a, a break from your study in the, in the Gospel of John, and we're going to jump over to 2 Corinthians 6. If you have a Bible, we just read it, verses 3 through 13, and uh, if you've ever studied the book of 2 Corinthians uh, there's different ways we can frame this book. And one of the ways to think about what, uh, about Second uh, Corinthians is what we, we might say Paul's treatise on the spiritual power of weakness. Which he says later in the book in chapter 12. He says, therefore, and, and this kind of language is crazy, but therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Who does that? So that the power of Christ may rest on me which is so counterintuitive to the way we normally think and and interact with one another. But it was Jesus that said, there's power in turning the other cheek, blessed are the meek. Incredible statements even from Jesus. And so in a world filled with so much hate and violence, I know a lot of you don't watch TV because Seth and Sierra never watched TV and uh, don't have any idea what's going on in, in Cincinnati in the world. As far as craziness, in fact, the other night I just turned it off because I was tired of uh, witnessing hate and violence and so many dark things going on all around us. There just seems to be this obsession with power, whether it's countries lobbing missiles at other countries and, you know, cities, towns, even churches, even families, this obsession with power. When we think of that, It's a good idea to think about how the gospel completely inverts power. It turns it upside down. And so Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. Corinth, if you study uh, history, Corinth was a very prosperous city. uh, Some have said it was a very status-conscious city. Um, Even a place... Uh, you would want to go to make a fortune. If you wanted to make a fortune, you'd go to Corinth. And so you could say it was a city of self-promotion. It was a city of activity. It was a city of power. And what Paul is saying in this letter over and over is this. If a Corinthian were to become a Christian or a Cincinnatian, I didn't look it up. I didn't Google it. Is that what you are, Cincinnatians? Yeah. Okay. Wow. I got it. If a Cincinnatian were to become a Christian, the one thing that is radically going to change in your life, the thing that might make you odd or different or set you apart is how you and I relate to power. Again, the big idea you see in 2 Corinthians is true spiritual power looks like weakness to the world. In fact, Paul develops that theme even further in the verses we just read in chapter 6. a the theme that he had already written about in chapter 4 the power of endurance, not losing heart, not giving up, even though we feel a lot of times like giving up, not giving up in a world or culture that quits too easily, gives up way too easily, that seeks to avoid pain and discomfort and suffering at all costs. That's the culture we live in. In 2 Corinthians, is painting a different picture. Back in chapter 4, verse 16, you don't need to look there. I'll just read this. But he says, therefore, we do not give up. We don't give up. If Paul pulled his guys around, Timothy and Titus and Epaphroditus and those dudes, he would say, hey, I know it's hard. This whole thing. And they were church planters. They were starting new churches. He would gather them around and say, I I know it's been hard. I know you're going through a lot of stuff. But you know what? We don't give up. We don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, verse 16 in chapter 4, our inner person, inner person is being renewed every day. Here's our main point this morning. I want you to think about the gospel of Jesus Christ creates a quiet life of hidden endurance. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Because you think, well, how, how did Paul do that? How did these guys just keep going in the you know, first century world? The gospel of Jesus Christ creates a quiet life of hidden endurance. So many of you, and I know this, because we are connected to Mercy Hill, so many of you have lived that way. You have remained faithful to what you believe God has called you to as a church. Your example is proof of the power of the gospel. And so the question, you know, how does the gospel shape someone into a person of hidden endurance? I'm going to give you three things that we can kind of tease out of this text here. Number one, the gospel gives you a necessary purpose to endure. got to have that. Second, the gospel gives you an ethic or a set of moral principles in how you endure. That's very important. And number three, the gospel gives you an identity that cannot change. And our core identity is so critical to how we feel and how we behave, how we think about ourselves. So a purpose and ethic and identity. First of all, the gospel gives you a necessary purpose to endure, a purpose we might say it this way, worth sacrificing for. Why should I sacrifice? You know, it gives us a purpose to endure, a purpose worth sacrificing for. And so let me go uh, jump back. If you want to, if you have your Bible open, you can jump back to chapter five quickly to be reminded of what Paul means by ministry. That when Seth read the scripture, that word popped up a little bit there. You go back to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 21. This is another famous scripture that we find in the book of 2 Corinthians. He says, everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation just making us right with God, bringing us to God. That is, verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them. That's why we get up here and we preach Thursday night, and and this morning we we have sin in our life. That sin is separating us from God, and and, and then Jesus came and died for that sin so that we could be reconciled to God. Uh, No longer an enemy of God, but a friend of God through what Jesus did at the cross. In Christ, God was reconciled to the world himself, not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Like we want other people to know. It's incredible truth. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Maybe you're familiar with that word. Since God is making appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Even a statement we would make this morning, be reconciled to God if you're not, take those steps. That is the gospel. That was Paul's message. That was his ministry and purpose. So when you jump over to chapter 6, verse 3, we read in verse 3 again, we are not giving anyone an occasion for offense so that the ministry, so there's that word again, and that's what he's talking about, what he described in chapter 5, this ministry of reconciling people to God, you know, giving them the message of the gospel so they could be made right with God, we, uh, so that the ministry will not be blamed. Verse 4, instead, as God's ministers, and the word he used in chapter 5 was ambassadors <clears throat> of the gospel, we commend ourselves in everything. And notice the inversion here. This is what just sticks out to me. How does he commend himself? Pretty incredible. Something that might come off as weakness to people. He says by, look there, by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings. Imprisonments by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger. Wow, it's pretty incredible. Do you hear what he's saying at this time in his life of ministry? Paul is still defending the, the legitimacy of his apostleship, being compared to the superstar apostolic preachers that were kind of rising up. These teachers were impressive, they were classically trained, they were convincing, they sounded smart sounded right, and they were saying, Paul is not a legitimate apostle. Look how unimpressive he looks. He, he's not eloquent. He doesn't have the credentials that a lot of us have. They were sowing seeds of division in the Corinthian church and other surrounding church, uh, first century churches, calling into questions Paul, Paul's apostolic authority. But then you see how he responds. And you might even wonder, how did he respond? How, how would you and I respond Notice he doesn't you know, flex his power like a lot of people would do. He doesn't become defensive. He doesn't say, no, I am a great speaker. I am educated. I am intelligent. No. He doesn't respond in the way we might think he would respond or even the way we, we might respond. Again, he does what the gospel does. He inverts. Here's what he says. Listen, the thing that proves my authenticity and the authenticity of my mission is not my success, it's not, you know or, or, you know, or my fame, or even the absence of pain. That's not it. What shows the authenticity of my apostleship and ministry is my willingness, listen, to face hardship and failure and ridicule and contempt and suffering and pain when things don't seem like they'll ever get any better and endure. Not quit, not give up. Gathering his people around him and saying, "Hey, we don't give up. It's hard, but we don't give up." Yeah, I got scars on my back again from, you know, from being beaten. I've got bruises on me from being stoned, but you know what? We don't give up. We keep going. It's incredible. I love the Apostle Paul, not only because he wrote half of the New Testament and we get great doctrine out there, but I just love his life. I love who he was. I love what he did. He's saying, I don't do any of this for me. I'm not peddling the gospel to build wealth or to make a name for myself. He would say, if he were standing here, if that were it, I would have quit a long time ago. My motivation is different. It's driven by a greater purpose, one far beyond personal comfort, far beyond personal gain or success. I'm living for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to tell people about him. That's what I'm all about. Maybe today you're here and you're in a very hard place. There's pain in your life. Maybe it's loss. Maybe there's grief. Maybe you feel like people are against you. Maybe you feel lonely. You feel like you're going through one hard thing after another. You wonder, how much more can I take? Maybe, and I've been here m- many times, maybe you feel like quitting. Just giving up. And I would say most of us, if not all of us in, the, in this room have felt that at some point. And I would even say everyone in this room carries something even at this moment. You cannot walk through life without pain and hardship. So let me ask you a simple question. What are you living for? What are you living for? I know a lot of you are in college and you have career ambitions and that's all good. We were super happy that Seth got his degree in computer engineering and works for some company. I have no idea what they do, but he likes it. Sierra finished school as a nurse. We love that. There's nothing wrong with that. But what is the greater, what's the greater purpose of your life? What are you, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what are you living for? When you think of the very hard things that you are walking through right now, what is the greater purpose of your life? What is, and we might ask it this way, what is a purpose worth sacrificing for? I love the story of Viktor Frankl. He's an old guy a long time ago. Very painful story. Horrific tragedy and hardship. But also one, if you know his story, of, of courage, of endurance. He was an Austrian a psychiatrist who lived and worked uh, pre-World War II. He was known for his work suicide prevention uh, in, among teenagers in Vienna at that time. So suicide ideation has been around for a long time. Did some great work with that. Eventually arrested by the Nazis, lived through the death camps, stripped of everything, watched the Nazis murder most of his family. But Frank survived. And he not only survived, he helped other people survive. He would listen carefully to the stories of these prisoners. Uh, he, he would uh, listen to the people that they were prior to the war, like, tell me your story. Who were you? What did you do? He tried to find a mission when he was working with prisoners. And I mean, I, I just think that's amazing. Here's a psychiatrist. He's in a concentration camp, but he's still moving toward people and trying to help them. He would try to help them find a mission that was waiting for them that could only be fulfilled if they just stayed alive. There's something waiting, there's something on the outside. Just stay alive. The difference between, he he explained later, is that it had to be a mission from outside of self. The difference between a call from within and a call from outside, he said. To give them a mission to survive, uh, to endure, I had to give them a mission outside of themselves. Which is what the gospel does. The Apostle Paul is saying it gives your life a purpose, a mission, a meaning that comes to you from outside the self. And that's important because it gets to a crucial contradiction at the heart of our culture. Maybe you've encountered this. Maybe you thought through some of these things. When I, I look at our culture, one of the great challenges we have is this. If we look at the world as merely a material world, that this is all there is. If we believe that the world in the end is really driven by random impersonal forces, and a lot of people think that way. If that's true, then we have to realize that our culture has to say the only way that you can find true meaning and purpose is to find it within yourself. But here's the contradiction as long as purpose can only be found within the self, you will never find a purpose that can take you beyond yourself. As long as purpose can only be found within the self, you'll never find a purpose that can take you beyond yourself. It is impossible. To create a purpose that allows you to take on suffering and sacrifice, to endure if in the end that purpose is only about what makes you and me happy or fulfilled or satisfied or comfortable. But this is a human question, the question that you and I are asking ourselves is there a purpose to my life? Is there something true and beautiful and good that goes beyond just mere success and comfort or even the absence of pain? In the Apostle Paul, if you look at his life, you would say, there's got to be. There's got to be. He would say, absolutely, there is. The gospel gives you a purpose outside of yourself, and it's a purpose worth sacrificing for. And many of you are living that purpose right here in Cincinnati. Just thinking about this and praying about this um, as we are preparing to come out. As you seek to make gospel impact in this city and on this campus, the campuses that you're involved in. If you haven't noticed already, starting a new church is not for the faint of heart. It takes courage, it takes a warrior spirit, it takes endurance. It requires endurance, and you've shown that. And as a pastor of Cornerstone Church, one of the pastors, uh, Cornerstone Church, if Ernie's ever talked about it, was kind of the founding church that got this whole Salt Network thing rolling and going. I think it's up over 30 churches now, which is incredible. As one of the pastors at Cornerstone Church, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for just staying in there. I know some of you are newer, and that's okay. We're glad you're here, but thank you. Thank you for for staying in through the hard things and uh, seeing what God is not only doing, but I believe on the verge of doing. My dad uh, is a retired pastor, like 60-plus years doing pastoral work, just crazy on the mission field, just an incredible life of fruitfulness and gospel witness, but also of, of significant challenges and hardships inside of that calling. Maybe the greatest test was the passing of my mom, um, the loss of his best friend of over 50 years, partners in life, and now gone. And just a profound grief and loss. He would call me. He was still down in southern Arkansas. Call me and I'd just be crying and just walking with him through that. And, and, and what now? You know, what now? What, what next? It had to be something beyond self. And for my dad, the same purpose that had always motivated him to endure. The gospel. Not the absence of sadness. Not the absence of sadness. But gospel purpose that rises above the sadness. Which gave him the motivation at 87 years old to say yes to a 93-year-old lady. Not for her hand in marriage, thank God. Even though he's at a retirement community uh, down in Des Moines that is just like Salt Company. I mean, there's romance and there's boyfriends and girlfriends. It is wild <laughs> among 80 and 90 year old people. There's jealousy, there's gossip. He just, my dad just loves anyone and everyone. He'll just sit down and play games with people. And one time he was playing games with this lady. I think she was in her late 80s, early 90s. They're just playing games. And some other lady comes by on her with her walker, just staring at my dad and going, "Mm mm-mm, you can't be hanging out with her. It's wild. He always has stories for us every week when we go down. Crazy. But she didn't want to be married to him or for him to be Uh, You know, his girlfriend is a different request. Pretty cool. She said, I never went to church. So that's crazy. 93, unchurched. Unchurched, never went to church. I don't know anything about the Bible. Will you teach me the Bible? And you can just... (laughs) Just feel the energy... In him. He said, I needed to get on Amazon and order me a Bible with the largest print they have. <laughs> he was fired up because somebody wanted him to teach them the Bible, teach them the gospel. And he just began to do that. They would meet and talk and read, and somewhere on that journey, she said, I'm ready. I'm ready. And she received Christ as her Savior. So cool, yes. I don't think they baptized her. I don't know what you do with 93 old people. They probably just threw some water on her. But listen, that that just has always, through hard times and sadness and just the challenges of life, not just for pastors and ministry leaders, but all of us, that has always been his purpose and motivation in life. Through all the stuff he and my mom had been through, disappointments, heartache, fulfillment, the gospel, a purpose outside of himself. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying here in this text. And I'm really thankful I, I remember to bring one of these because there's hardly ever a sermon I preach where I don't get choked up at some point. Excuse me. <laughs> the gospel gives you a necessary purpose to endure. A purpose worth sacrificing for. Number two, the gospel gives you an ethic. Or we might say a set of moral principles in how you endure. And this is equally important. Look at verse 5. By beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger. How? Watch this, verse 6. By purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness. You know, a lot of people make a big deal about the Apostle Paul. He wasn't this way or this way or this way. He was this way and this way. And then I read this, I'm like, wait. There was something special about him. There was something special about him by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God through weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Here's what he's saying. The gospel doesn't just give you a purpose that takes you outside of yourself. Listen, the gospel also gives you an ethic, a set of moral principles that takes you outside of yourself. Meaning, it's not the way we would normally choose to respond if people were beating us or stoning us or being unkind to us and all those things. That in all the afflictions and beatings and imprisonments that he endured, he says, if you look at the text here, I endured those things with purity. I endure those things with kindness, with humility, with patience, generated by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Not my power, but his power, through weapons of righteousness, not the weapons of hate and revenge, which is why he would later write to a young pastor named Timothy, a pastor in training. After enduring all these things, Paul writing from a dungeon. You can read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, part of the pastoral epistles. He's writing those letters from a dungeon, knowing that Timothy would endure many of the same things. He wrote these words in a letter, words that I memorized a long time ago. And that I quote to myself quite often. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, this is Paul Teaching and mentoring a younger guy. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. The study must be kind to everybody. Able to teach. Not resentful. Timothy, stuff's going to happen to you. And don't let resentment grow up inside of you. Hebrews 12, 15. Don't let any bitter root grow up in you. To cause trouble and to defile a lot of people around you. Don't do that. Not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. That God will grant them Repentance leading to a knowledge of truth. Kindness, purity, blessed are the meek. Remember again Jesus saying, turn the other cheek. Not meaning be a doormat. I think of it this way, a courageous kindness. Which Jesus did at the end, if you remember. When they mocked him and they beat him and they crucified him, which Peter observed... Firsthand, and then later, quite a few years later, would write in his epistle in 1 Peter 2 For you were called to this. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Here's your example that you should follow in his steps, Jesus' steps. He did not commit sin, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself over and over. Again, to the one who judges justly to God. The Apostle Paul's saying, It's not just that I was willing to endure these things, but the manner in which I was able to do that, the example that Jesus gave. This is the kind of endurance the gospel produces in us, an endurance that will look like, if you're following along here, it's going to look like weakness in the world. I remember as a young pastor, being publicly slandered in a gathering much like this right here. Really horrible things said about me. Uh, Deeply hurtful, deeply painful. Everything in me wanted to quit, wanted to give up. Um, Paula wouldn't let me. She said, "Uh uh-uh, you're not giving up. She's a rock star. She's why I'm here, and I really mean that. The elders wouldn't let me. They're like, "Uh uh-uh, no. And most importantly, God wouldn't let me. Sometimes you have to cling to the anchor of your core calling and simply endure. Just keep going. And in a very dark time, I chose to do that. By God's grace, continue to love and lead with kindness and grace and not allow myself to become resentful. I told them I'd stay, okay, I'll stay maybe three years, maybe four, not more than five and then 20 years later. 20 years later after a fruitful ministry at the Well, I resigned and moved on to God's next assignment, which is Cornerstone Church. I told myself I I'm not going to get choked up today. And I came in here strong. This is how I think about it. If you unzip the cover of my soul, you will see wounds and scars. They're there. And maybe if we unzip the cover of your soul, there would be wounds and scars. That's life. We live in a sin-cursed world. People do things to us. We experience hard things. where it's the family that you came out of, things you've encountered since leaving home. As a pastor and counselor, I'm certain the same is true for every person in this room. Life is hard. We do experience hurt and pain. And we choose to endure with kindness and purity and grace that only, listen, only God can generate in us by His grace and by the power of the Spirit. The gospel gives you an ethic and how you endure, and then finally, the gospel gives you an identity that cannot change. Verse eight through glory. Just listen to him talk here. He's just like on on a roll. Through glory and dishonor, through slander and good report, regarded as deceivers, Paul, you are a liar. He's like, wait, no, I'm not. Regarded as deceiver yet, no, I know what's true. As unknown yet recognized, as dying yet see we live, as being disciplined yet not killed, as grieving and there was grief and loss in his life and yet always rejoicing. As poor, I mean, he was wealthy. I mean, he was a Pharisee. He, he had money. He had more than likely a really nice house. He had everything he wanted and then he met Jesus and life changed. He said, so he would say, oh yeah, I am kind of poor now, <laughs> traveling all over, starting churches, but enriching so many as having nothing yet. You know what? I possess everything. I mean, he'd be the guy you'd want to bring in here and just let him talk hour after hour and we would get so much from his life, we have spoken openly to Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. If I speak as, as to my children, as, prop, as a proper response, open your heart to us. Just keep your hearts open. You hear what he's saying. My true identity is not defined by what people have done to me or what they say about me. My identity is defined by what God has done for me in the gospel, what God says to me. You know, even when I help people, you know, identify their negative core belief or negative core lie, we just want to replace that, not with some happy thought or power of positive thinking, but how does God see you in the gospel? What does God say to you if you were to walk into this office what would he say in how we establish a new, healthy, gospel-informed core identity? How does God see me? The ministry and purpose of calling God has placed on my life. Paul is saying, do you know, what, know how it is that I can face dishonor and disgrace? And we'd say, Paul, how? How are you able to do that? Because we face those kinds of things. He said, because I found a higher honor that no one else could give to me. And this is no one can take away. He would say, do you want to know how it is that I can face slander and criticism? And those are those big ouch moments. Wow, I can't believe they said that. How'd you do that, Paul? Because I hear, he would say, the voice of my Savior, the the one whose opinion matters most. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done you want to know what it is that allows me to endure obscurity and forgottenness and rejection and insignificant? And we've all felt that at some time. And maybe even this morning you're feeling that. And we'd say, Paul, how? He'd say, I've met the one who knows me down to my core. Knows that in myself I'm not worthy. I'm not good. I fall short of the glory of God every day, every moment. Romans 3.23. But who in Christ has been declared good has been given an identity that no one else can give me and no one can take away say what you want do what you want to me but that will never shake the core identity that God has given me why is Paul able to do this? because he is satisfied enough in Jesus to be freed from all those things because he looks at Jesus and says you want to know what I see in Jesus he was God himself who came down and faced everything I've encountered. And he did it for me, and he did it for you, because he loves you and me. Jesus came down and faced evil and contempt, all the contempt for him, and remained unwavering on his mission to go to the cross for you and for me, that on the cross Jesus faced, if you know anything about that story, faced the ultimate dishonor and slander and punishment and sorrow that on the cross, the one who owned everything from all eternity past gave it all away to make you and me rich in him. And if you go to Ephesians 1 later today, you can read the spiritual blessings that we have chosen, forgiven, redeemed, adopted children of God, accepted in the beloved. And how do we respond well, if you attended, have attended Mercy Hill for any length of time, you know the response. If you've never taken that first step with Jesus, do it now. Take that step. Trust him as your Savior, the one who came and died for you, for your sins, so that you could be forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life. Take that step. Maybe today you know, is the day you reorient yourself to gospel purpose. I've had to do that many times like okay I I just gotta push reset on the lens that I'm seeing everything the filter push reset and reorient myself to the gospel maybe that's the step you need to take to see your struggles and hardship through the lens of the gospel maybe it's just the decision to endure to not quit to not give up to disenvision yourself in there with the Apostle Paul and his core team, and hear him say that, "Hey, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going." To say or pray the words of uh, Chapter Four, Verse Sixteen. This is the prayer: God, by Your grace and with Your help, I will not give up, even though my outer person is being destroyed. My inner person is being renewed day by day because of your love and grace. Would you bow with me? Yeah. none of this makes anything feel easier. It doesn't necessarily remove things like sadness or anxiety sometimes or tension or doubt, those things that we feel. But I pray that our gospel purpose would override those things, that today we would just push reset, reorient ourselves again to the gospel. That is what this is all about. That's what a purchasing a building is all about. That's why we give sacrificially to things like this because we believe the calling that you've laid on Mercy Hill to reach this city and these campuses with the gospel, with Jesus. Just pray that you would just flood this place with deep encouragement that comes through that, through the gospel. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.